Pilot TV podcast this week, we're skipping to a parallel dimension with David Simon and Ed Burns as we take a look at their alternate history drama, The Plot Against America, which looks at what might have happened if a certain presidential election had gone another way. Something I'm certain none of us have spent any time thinking about over the last four years. Then we move from Washington to Langley for season two of CIA drama Condor. However, unfortunately, Netflix is cursed has lived up to its name this week and has cursed us with an inconvenient embargo. So you'll have to wait until next week's show to hear what we thought of that one. But in a slight change to the usual format, we're going to take this opportunity to review the final episodes of Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You instead. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has renounced its evil ways, confessed, repented and taken holy orders so that we too may one day be admitted to the Order of the Cruciform Sword and become warrior nuns. Joining me this week on our holy crusade are my two co-hosts. First up this week is the podcast resident halo bearer, blessed with a divine artifact granted by God himself. God, of course, having agreed to bestow said artifact, only after Boyd stalked him, invited him to a series of awkward lunch dates, and gradually forced him to become one of his celebrity friends. It's Father Boyd Hilton. How are you, Boyd? I'm very well, thanks, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bless me, Father. Glad, I do identify with that Father character. What's his name? Father thingy? Father Vincent. Yeah, Father Vincent, yeah. Who looks yeah. like Jürgen Klopp. Yeah, I definitely identify with him. <laughs> yes, you yeah. identify with the Jürgen Klopp <laughs> priest. Also joining us, of course, is Pilot TV's very own Shotgun Mary, a woman who takes no shit, gives no fucks, and will pop a cap in your ass as soon as look at you. Of course, if she really were a nun, her vow against the sin of pride would seem wholly incompatible with the fact that her book is currently at number 14 on the Times bestseller list. It is acclaimed author, Terry Louise White. How are you, famous <laughs> um, person? Can you be my celebrity friend, Terry? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. I still don't think I'm as famous as TV's Boyd Hilton, so... I've, I've still mm. got a way to go. I don't know. Where did Boy, um, how, where did your book go in the charts? Your, yeah, how your high little did Little Britain, Britain climb? Um, it was in the top ten, but bear in mind they were, you know, I mean, they were massive, uh, two of the most famous people in the country, so it, it kind of almost had to go in the top ten. But for a first time author of a memoir to be number fourteen in the fucking top twenty, I mean, that is incredible. Yeah, oh, but yeah. it's it's pretty epic. It is pretty <laughs> yeah. epic. Oh, that's well and good, right? But I think we all know what everybody wants at this point in the podcast which is the, they want the uh, cardboard box to be opened and they want to know what james has learned on the guitar this, this week cannot, Not know. they want to hear what james learned on the guitar this, this week cannot become the new worst regular on this podcast <laughs> like okay. once was bad two was criminal like if this becomes a regular thing this is more self-indulgent than funny or dire and i think nobody will stand for it um so what did you learn this week james sunshine of your love sunshine of your love yes it's it's like it's one of these songs where if you told me the name of it i couldn't tell you what it is but when i start oh i know this this is a thing that i know oh sunshine of your love is a cream song neither boyd nor i recognize said song just from the title so i think the only way we can fully appreciate it is to hear it see i feel like i i, I said this before the podcast started that uh, that terry has a guitar in the background a very nice looking expensive guitar and i wonder whether we would get into a dueling banjos type situation but she has since inform me that you can't play it of course i can't no would it, i mean wouldn't that just be the most surprising thing ever if it turned out i could actually hold oh, a tune in anything it would be amazing because chris you know chris here can play the guitar what no, yeah, he, actually can. he actually can play the guitar he can i don't know you know how well right so he has to now come on the podcast yeah and play a duet with you 
Yeah, I think Listeners, it should happen. We, we can confirm James has got his guitar out of the box, out of the cardboard box. No, it's, no, out of the out of the new case. I was that I've, say. Got, I've got a bag now. You've for got it. posh. I just I saw a case. I just That's saw right. a case. I've Incredible. graduated to case level for the guitar. Um, yes, and Helen, Helen O'Hara can play the French horn. So we're thinking of starting an Empire podcast band. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. That's the most brilliantly <laughs> Helen O'Hara instrument ever. Yeah. Cue many she's got the horn gags on the most recent podcast. God. I bet she loved that. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? ready. Should I I be warming up? Um, (laughs) All right. Let me see if I can do this. Um, Hang on. It sounds like the beginning of The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie, actually. Uh, really? Yeah, Does, it Does it though? Does it though? That is worse than Seven Nation Army, I have to say. Yeah, we're not getting much. But we don't know the song, though, so it's harder. Oh, is it? No. Is you it, don't recognise that riff at all. Um, See, I recognise it. There are lots of things going on. I've got to move my fingers up and down the little neck. This bit. is an Eric Clapton song, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah, it's fucking Eric Clapton. Yeah, who, who was in Cream? Is it? Yeah. So you are the new Eric Clapton. <laughs> oh, is that? Okay, We've had Jimmy Page, all the great Jack White, Jack White. Yeah, right. That's it. That's what you're getting. You've mocked my guitar enough for this week. Apparently, next week's tune is going to be Nirvana's "Come as You Are." That's exciting. Brilliant. That is exciting. Are you working your way up to uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers? <laughs> yes, that's. I will be under the bridging before long. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's obviously the goal here. Um, I am quite enjoying this guitar stuff. It has to be said. You are. Admittedly, it sounds absolutely terrible, but yeah. it's quite fun. Yeah. No, we're all enjoying it. We're all enjoying yeah. it. Gives me something to next do. Next week, next week you should just go the hog and mic up the guitar. You know, just open this <laughs> podcast with a performance of Come As You Are. Yeah. I'm, wor- I'm working up to that. Perhaps for the 100th podcast, that'll be it. Yeah. The 100th podcast will involve a live gig yeah. from me. When you send out that email treat. saying, if you've got any ideas for the 100th podcast, we should have automatically said, yes, you doing a gig on the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, we, when we do finally uh, get to do live podcasts again, mm. I see a fantastic opportunity oh. here. <laughs> totally, yeah. Well, it's going to be a bit like the wedding in Four Weddings and a Funeral, isn't it? Where I'll be sitting there just strumming away and singing on stage while everyone tries not to die. Yeah. Oh, God. Enough from my guitar, and I mean that on every conceivable level. And let's move on now to what we've been watching on the television. Terry, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I haven't been watching anything uh, because I've been promoting my book and looking after my baby. Right. Amazing. Terry has watched no television this <laughs> well, week. I've watched the television we will be talking about today. But, um, yeah. Okay, but nothing well, even else. Even old episodes enough, of like, police enough. procedurals from... I haven't watched any SVU this wow. week. Oh, SVU. I'll tell you what I did watch. Oh no, I'll tell you what I did uh, watch the other day. As they've run out of episodes of EastEnders, they've been showing classic episodes yes. of EastEnders on the telly at prime time in like the regular EastEnders slot. And there's been some proper classics. So it kicked off with Den and Angie, um, you know, and I won a divorce um, on, the, on the Christmas episode. Then it followed up with Sharon Gate. So the episode where 
Grant finds the tape that Sharon and Michelle created because if if memory serves, Michelle was training to be a counsellor, so decided to tape her best mate confessing to having an affair with um, her husband's brother. And when they played it in the Vic, that classic episode, then they followed it up with Saeed and Christian, which kind of arguably is not quite as iconic as those two previous episodes. <laughs> but I've been loving it. I've really loved like going back down memory lane and actually it's like got me more excited about EastEnders coming back I think it's a genius idea have you been watching them boy Jay yeah some of them yeah it's a really clever idea yeah they and some of that yeah they're, they're some of them are absolutely brilliant yeah, brilliantly written um incredibly exciting yeah I, I'm actually lying I've watched loads of stuff I also watched um uh Athlete A which is mm. it technically a film it's a yeah, yeah technically. technically a film but fuck it which is the um, um, story of the abuse in the US gymnastics oh, team, God. which is, I have to say, like incredibly well done. But yeah, it's it's quite hardcore. Um, and I do want to say that tonight, because we're recording this on Friday, I am going to be watching Celebrity Gogglebox. And one of the main reasons, apart from the fact that I love it, is Daisy May Cooper from this country is going to be on it with her amazing, hilarious dad, who is also in this country with her. Um, and it's just like worth it tuning in for that alone. Um, so if you are listening to this on Monday and you missed it, it will almost certainly be worth um, grabbing it on catch up. I am so excited. Are you excited, James, about that? <laughs> yes, this is my excited face. You're it excited, is really exciting though. Yeah, because yeah, she's brilliant. She's brilliant on um, Instagram, isn't she? She does like oh. little videos on Instagram um, at home, and she's yeah, it's really fuck knows why they didn't have her on from the beginning, but yeah, thank God she's alright. I would she's like right to say, now. Terry, just in 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 while we're adding things that you don't remember you've seen that you have seen, surely you have watched the thing that I spent a lot of this week watching, which is the entirety of Warrior Nun. You must have watched the rest of it. I refuse to believe you haven't. I haven't yet. Oh no, my I God. Haven't. No, because I, I want to, I haven't had a concentrated period of time. I want to sit and binge it all in one day. I and I haven't had a, I haven't had a spare day yet. I've had other <laughs> things to do with my life, but I'm saving it and I'm going to do it all in one go. I couldn't stop it. There's been a lot of feedback about the final episode, yeah. which obviously I can't talk about because spoilers is it um, fair uh, uh, well, no, it's it, let's let's just say that it's had without giving out any plot spoilers it ends on a cliffhanger um and i do hate cliffhangers but then most of the episodes end on cliffhangers mm. so uh so that's a little bit maddening so i will be having a, i'll be up in arms if netflix don't renew this for another season um but yeah i enjoyed it immensely <laughs> somebody's at the door um can you just hold on one minute <laughs> i feel like we've gone full yeah. rod hull and emu here there's somebody at the door <laughs> I'm assuming, Boyd, you didn't press on with Warrior Nun. I've watched. I watched a few more. Oh, I did did watch a few yeah. more. Yeah, they kind of dispense with the you know the squatting. No, team but I'm so gang. pleased with that. Like, this yeah. feel, it feels to me like the squatting, <laughs> the squatting subplot was the least compelling part I of know. it. I'm very pleased they did away <laughs> yeah. with that. But, but it's funny how. Almost like they realised that it was not adding much. It was just a bit of a ludicrous side it's issue. Like, so they just happening? dropped them. Yeah, it's like we've got warrior nuns and then we've got yeah. squatters. Why are we yeah. spending time with the squatters? Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, yes, I enjoyed it a lot. It has to be said, the Spanish geography in this is fucking all over the place. Mm. Like they're here, then they're there. Yeah, I was thinking that. Where the <laughs> yeah, hell are they? Yeah. They're yeah. skipping to all four corners of the country every five minutes. Yeah. Um, it's very, very entertaining. It's but, so weird. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I enjoy it enormously and I am one. 100% here for Shotgun Mary. Ter Speaking of Shotgun Mary, Terry has returned. Was it grot bags at the door? <laughs> it wasn't. It was a, a package for 
my boyfriend from Amazon because he's the king of buying shit we don't need from Amazon <laughs> multiple times a week. All right, super. So I yeah, so I've spent a lot of this week watching Warrior Nun. I've also just finished season three of Luther again. So I'm on the home stretch for for Luther. I forget the gap between season three and four for Luther was huge. It was quite a few years. Uh, and then four and then five wasn't wasn't that long after. So Boyd, what have you been watching other than a few episodes of Warrior Nun? I watched a few episodes of Warrior Nun, yeah. Um, I, I actually can't wait to watch the rest of it, I have to say. I might, in fact, I might do that this weekend. Um, I watched uh, Channel 4's repeating National Treasure, which was um, Jack Thorne's series oh, that yeah. went out originally um, a few years ago, 2016. And I... I mean, I loved it at the time, but I, I and watching it again, I'm even. I was even more impressed. It's really stood the test of time. It's it's basically Robbie Coltrane as a guy who's a celebrity, a kind of um, like an ex comedian, part of a double act, and then he now hosts a daytime quiz show on Channel Four, and he gets accused of being um, an abuser. Basically, he's a part of like an Operation U Tree situation. Judy Walters plays his wife, absolutely phenomenally. Andrea Riseborough is his daughter, his troubled daughter. Um, but what is incredible about it is, apart from the fact that it's an incredibly gripping, brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed, the direction is so interesting. It's like it uses focus. Our characters appear out of focus and in focus and just kind of very bold look that the whole thing's got. But as a depiction of the world of show business kind of, um, you know, like there's a scene in episode one where he picks, has to give an award. Robert Coltrane's character has to present an award to his ex-colleague um, who they're in a double act with. And obviously he's resentful about it because he's not getting the award. The other guy gets all the credit for being the better one in the double act. And it's at, just the whole depiction is so authentic and real by Jack Thorne. He's just nails it. And I, I think it might be the most... The, the smartest, most authentic depiction of that level of showbiz that I've ever seen on TV. It, it reminded me, there's, at the end of it, where everyone's milling around after this award ceremony, so many times have I been in that situation where, you're, where you walk around trying to congratulating famous people about winning an award. I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never being that twat who goes around semi-drunkenly going, oh, you're, I love you, you're amazing, you're brilliant, you deserve that award. Stuff like that, just the observations in it are absolutely brilliant. So... Boy, Pat, that was perhaps the best humble brag I've ever heard. Yeah, Just so humble brag, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. it's so tedious congratulating <laughs> famous people on their awards. I'm never doing it again. I can't I mean, be asked. Yeah, that's my world. That is my world in National Treasure. And so that's the main thing. And I wanted to mention quickly, what we do in the shadows, which we don't give enough credit for, I think has got better and better. I think, did we review season we one? Did. I think it's we did. It's excellent. Yeah. It's absolutely excellent. It's, yeah, it's really brilliant. Really hilarious. Um, just the cast is fantastic. They're all fantastically funny. Mm. Matt Berry, Natasha Dimitriou, um, together are hilarious. There's an episode I watched this week where they're doing, they do their songs together. They make, they made an <laughs> album. It's fucking hilarious. Mm. Um, and one final thing, a documentary about Keith Haring, Haring, the painter, the, uh, the artist, the kind of graffiti artist in New York in the eighties, which went out on last weekend on BBC, be on iPlayer. Absolutely brilliant. If you're interested in art or New York in the eighties and nineties, he died tragically young of AIDS. It's an incredible um, feature length documentary. Keith Herring, Street Art Boy, it was called. Now, oh, you have been busy, a very busy Boyd. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Artridge. why that tickled me so much. Yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and delirium sets in about 15 minutes into the podcast. Oh. Knowing me, knowing you, James Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, right. Okay. Let's move on to this week's listener question, which comes to us via Chelsea Wilson, who asks, in light of our £10 vouchers from Rishi Sunak, thanks, thanks Rishi, um, eat out to help out, um, what are the best restaurant scenes in TV? Before we do that, can we just say, how did nobody tell him what it what it means in you know modern no. parlance how did nobody put their hand up and go rishi babe like you do know what eat out means right um, like how did nobody intervene somebody somewhere must be like i think dominic cummings knew i think it's a deliberate you? thing yeah to give it more publicity because it gets more it gets more heat on it doesn't it it's like people talking about it more i think it's a whole thing I think you give them too yeah. much credit i think it's a damning indictment of all of their relative sexual life well, yeah <laughs> I was going to say, if you think Dominic Cummins has ever gone down on a woman, has been selfless oh, enough to go down on a woman, oh. then you give him far too much credit. We're never, I'm never getting that image out of my mind now. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> right, just, just Do you imagine his... looking down and seeing his little oh. bald head like, yeah. no, thank Fucking you. Right, like, I'm just checking my eyesight. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, anyway, let's move on away from that to the best restaurant scenes in TV. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna steal Terry's one immediately because I'm that kind of twat, and I'm gonna say that series two, episode one of Fleabag's restaurant yes. scene oh. may be you've, the you've single greatest everyone. restaurant <laughs> scene that is the answer in the history is, of television. Yeah, the end. The end <laughs> the of the conversation. <laughs> the yeah. whole episode in that restaurant, and it is pure art. I remember when we reviewed uh, that episode in that season, and it was just I don't think I've ever seen anything as precisely executed as that episode of TV. It's it's magnificent. Yeah, and as much, uh, you know, what went on in the toilet, never mind what went on at the table, all those dynamics that you were familiar with from season one, but kind of given fresh, I suppose, stories. Um, and just, you know, the priest and just Olivia Coleman just being her awful, evil worst. <laughs> um, the whole thing about the miscarriage. I mean, just every single beat of that episode is is absolute perfection. Mm. And I found out where it was filmed this week because I was because obviously we were all picking that. So um, do you know it was filmed at Smith and Walensky, which is on the Strand. Yeah, have you been there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it. Boyd, how have you not been there? That's like the popular breakfast hangout place for celebs. Yeah, for some reason I've never been there. Yeah, yeah. But right. um, yeah, <laughs> shocking. I know. <laughs> I'm going to go there now. Yeah, I'm booking of a course. table. <laughs> I, well, I was going to say I've also included diners, right? Oh, which yeah. I think is yeah, which is important. Diners, McDonald's, Nando's, all of the above. <laughs> Twin Peaks, obviously, like mm, every that, single yeah. scene. Damn fine coffee. Yeah. Uh, Final scene of The Sopranos. Yeah, like, I presume yeah. that was going to be the next thing you said, James. <laughs> it was on my list. Yes, yes. that. Episode. I mean, but that's massively divisive, and some people absolutely hate that scene. Um, I love it. I think it's magnificent. It's perfection. But, um, what a yeah. way to yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. What's very, wrong with very people? I'm surprised, Terry, you haven't gone for the affair where um, uh, the first meet when they go, when they stop off at the um, lobster, lobster restaurant in Montauk, <laughs> yeah. which is where, which, which kicks off the whole thing, which kicks off the whole affair. It does. And, um, that, and that whole scene, obviously, you know, everyone knows the gimmick of the affair, not the gimmick, the setup of the affair, which is you see the same thing from two different people's perspective. And even though it's not a moment of high drama, you actually, it's it's best executed in that scene because you see it from um, Dominic West's character perspective and he sees her, her uniform super tight and super short. Yeah. She's really sexy. She's really flirtatious and all over him. He's trying to be a good dad and not look and blah, blah, blah. 
And when you see it from her perspective, she's wearing no makeup, her hair's like tied back. She's feeling depressed. She's like got a longer skirt on. He's super lechy and all over. Like the the different perspectives in, in a scene that, even though it's the first time they're meeting, is quite mundane in other respects. There's no kind of big moment of high drama. So beautifully executed in that. The lobster yeah. roll. I'd love to go yeah. to the lobster roll right now. Bay, loads of people do stop off at the lobster roll in Montauk just to commemorate yeah. that. Yeah, I drove past yeah. it once, and it, there was a, like a line out the door of Bell Ends like me who'd seen it on telly. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. They must be furious. I know. <laughs> so many Bell Ends. Um, I'm going to pick, talking of diners, I'm going to pick Seinfeld, which the very first scene, episode one of the pilot of Seinfeld, is Jerry and George sitting in Monk's Cafe, the diner, where it's set, chewing the fat and talking about, Jerry talking about um, a button being too mispositioned on, on George's shirt which established immediately the tone of the show just the two of them hanging out in the in the diner talking shit about nothing and at the very final episode famously dodgy final episode ends with that as well ends with the same thing so the whole thing comes full circle but it's all set in the diner and um the best scenes in Seinfeld throughout its nine season history were just them just talking to each other in the diner and I love those scenes those are the best bits of that show I'm disqualifying Central Perk as a coffee shop however yeah. Yeah. however I, one of my favourite friend scenes is the double date where Joey and Monica go out with that quote unquote brother and sister <laughs> yes oh my god really what was oh, that yeah. season one or oh, season two I think it's season two? one I think it's season yeah, one really and, and he tells them that they're, it's a, that they're going on a date and it's a brother and sister but he's trying to break up this couple and, yes. uh, and it's just when she goes it's 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 not True. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Uh, I love that. Absolutely love it. I also, a slightly more obscure one, I very much enjoy. I think it's in the first ever episode of Cracker, which is one of my all-time favourite TV shows, where uh, Robbie Coltrane's Fitz sits down. He's with his wife, and he's being such a twat. And he sits down over dinner, and he obviously doesn't like the other people at the dinner table, and he just grinds them into an intellectual pulp by being smug and arch and superior. It's very hard for me to understand why I like this episode. <laughs> but uh, but I just, it's genius, and he's such an asshole in it, but he just beats them to death with his uh with his cutting wit and uh yeah i i like that a lot i think it's a great a great sequence because it sets him up it tells you everything you need to know about that character but it also tells you that he's a bit of a dick as well um which i think is nice any others um we should probably mention um los pollos hermanos in um, breaking bad oh, and better yes, Soul, very good which are many key uh moments happen in the chicken the chicken brothers the chicken restaurant yeah. um and there's a big, a big scene in um, the, the the most recent season of um, Better Call Saul, which revolves around, frankly, the explosion of one of those, <laughs> one of those restaurants. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, that's a pretty key element of that show. Yeah, aren't they always eating waffles in a waffle house in Parks and Rec? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parks and Rec. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Those those scenes are key. Yeah. If for no, I just I really fancy those waffles. Like I could I could murder those waffles. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Mm. With maple syrup. Yes. Yes, indeed. There's a good syrup episode in the West Wing as well, where uh, where Toby has dinner with or lunch, I say, with Felicity Huffman. She brings him a gift, but it all unravels from there. Right? Are we out of restaurants? I think we're out of restaurants. I am. Yeah. We have eaten out to help out, so hopefully that will. Uh, <laughs> I think Richie Sunak now owes us a tenner. I believe is the answer to that particular one. So thank you, Chelsea Wilson, for that question. We hope we have answered that to your satisfaction. Uh, if you would like to have your question answered, then feel free to harass me on social media sometime before next week's show uh, with whatever it is that is on your mind at James C. Dyer. Right, let us move on now to this week's news. And I'm assuming the most 
notable thing that happened this week was a surprise sixth and final season for The Crown. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, this is, this seems weird to me, right? So they originally were going to do six. Then they came out and said they were stopping at five. And now Peter Morgan has said, no, six months later, no, we are going to do six um, because they've realised if they started on series five that they need more episodes to be able to tell the story they want to tell essentially but it's not going to add on any time to the end it's not going to bring us closer to the present day royal family it's still going to end in the early 2000s but it's just going to go into the same period as always but with more detail like yeah isn't that weird boyd it is a bit weird yeah some might say some might say that if they'd have been a bit more judicious with the editing of the most recent season they might not have got themselves into this uh, situation because there were, I would say, there were episodes that were a bit like the space moon landing episode. Yes. Which had lots of lovely moments, but I'm not sure if that took us anywhere, really. Um, so, but I think, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing. It's interesting because also um, Ryan Murphy is supposed to be still supposed to be doing his Charles and Diana series. Um uh, where he explores that relationship. And presumably Charles and Diana is going to be, is what's going to take a lot of storytelling. I mean, that yes. is a huge thing, isn't it? Yeah. So fair enough. But that, but I can see by the time they both emerge being rival Charles and Diana um, dramas. I mean, I'm here for it. I'll be I'll be lapping it all up. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I am definitely yeah. going to be here for Ryan Murphy's. Like, yeah. <laughs> give me yeah. that version every day of the week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, Netflix giveth and of course they taketh away because they have also cancelled Chilling Adventures of Sabrina which will end after part four in their really unnecessarily confusing season structure where they split seasons in two and call them different parts uh, but yes part four is yeah it's going to be the last one so that's 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 gone kaput yeah not, yeah I mean yeah. I'm, I'm fine with it I, I, I have one thing I want to ask did either of you watch Dummy which was the trailer for Dummy Anna Kendrick's show on Queeby did you see this no so no. Queeby I read the brilliant article about the disaster that is Queeby in um, New York magazine yes. tell me about it, it. Yes. give me the highlights oh it's, you've got to read it. It's like a classic account of Hollywood stupidity <laughs> from executives who don't know what the fuck they're doing, assuming they've got, you know, signing on loads of really famous people and it'll be great and everyone will love it in the middle of a pandemic where no one, actually people want to sit at home and watch <laughs> eight hours of stuff on Netflix. It's incredible. What's the average length of an episode on Queeby? Uh, I think it's 10, 15 minutes. So everything's yeah. just, so not, not yeah. super bite-sized, but pretty short. Yeah. Yeah, and we're never going to see this over here, are we? <laughs> no, it's been an absolute no. disaster. Yeah. I think last time, last time anyone looked, the app was about in the hundreds on on the on the app store. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. this this actually the only thing that I because it, it's demented, isn't it? So this this dummy Anna Kendrick is she befriends a CG animated sex doll. Mm. Have you seen this? So, yes, I've seen a clip from it. Yeah, yeah, and there was a not suitable for work type trailer of her talking to the the self-aware sex doll in it and it's just batshit absolutely batshit but so much so that it really makes me want to watch it i'm like i want to know what this is it's mad so i don't know like that uh that kind of appealed to me i mean i will never see it because i'm never going to see queeby but um there's some crazy there's also there's also the one with the the woman from mrs Maisel. um that, that oh, the golden arm that. one the golden arm one. Yes. I mean, fucking hell! The golden arm one. <laughs> Jesus Christ! She's Somebody needs got to a buy that. Arm. Somebody needs <laughs> yeah. to buy that and show it. Yeah. There's just yeah. This is gonna be one of these things where Queeby's gonna go down in history as this ridiculous, surreal curio from the past. Um, that I don't yeah. know. We shall never see its like again. What else has been happening? Uh, so we have a new Batwoman. We do. 
Yeah, so Javisha Leslie has been announced as as taking over the role as we know Ruby Rose as um, by mutual consent uh, walked away at the end of the last season. And she's going to be the first black actress to ever play Batwoman on either telly or film. Mm. Um, And they've made it very clear that this is going to be a brand new character Nothing actually really like they're saying the Batwoman that Ruby Rose played. And her character is not an existing DC Comics character either. Um, so we'll have to have a see what that what that looks like. But I think it's still very much they were very keen to ensure the next actress um, continued the representation in terms of L- mm. LGBTQI. Yeah, it seems like a smart move to me. Like I don't watch the show, but um, it, yeah, it, it definitely seems like a smart move to to go in a different direction to the previous character. Yeah. Because um, they're in uncharted territory with this, isn't it? It's not something they planned for, really. But, yeah, it, I'm interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, it's exciting. Her quote was interesting as well. She said um, that she was extremely proud to be the first black actress, and as a bisexual woman, she was honoured to join this groundbreaking show, mm-hmm. which has been a trailblazer for the LBGQ plus community. I thought that was yeah. an interesting to, yeah. to, to state that from the start. Mm. Fascinating. Good stuff. Uh, also, kind of in keeping with my watching schedule at the moment idris elba has been banging on about the luther movie again so he was asked whether luther's come back there are no concrete plans to bring luther back at the moment for another series however he thinks that the luther movie which he has long been lobbying for is coming closer to fruition um I mean, in, and I think in his quote, he said that he sees it kind of being like the classic sort of 90s films like Seven and Along Came a Spider. Pretty sure Along Came a Spider wasn't a classic, but sure. Uh, <laughs> I love Along Came a Spider. Of course you do. Of course you do. Yes, you do. Hey, Along look. Came a Spider is one of the most watchable, rewatchable yeah. it is. It of is. its kind. It is. I mean, yeah. and I'm a big Alex Cross fan for my scenes. Yeah. Uh, and Kiss the Girls I liked as well. But, yeah, yeah. Um, Can you remember that whole crop of movies like oh, yeah. that? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. I spent oh, uh, at university when I should have been studying for my finals i was reading all of those james patterson novels that's all i did instead of studying <laughs> of I, was, did. I was obsessed yeah. with them um amazing obviously he doesn't write them anymore but there you go um but uh so so but yeah and then and but they're very much of that era you know those kind of 90s thrillers you don't really get anymore like that that and that quite excites me and i can totally see luther as mm. fitting that kind of format and i think he 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 said he sees those as a kind of blueprint for what the luther movie would be and he said and he's quite there'll be more murder more volvo more frowning Luther and that frankly is all we need so I, I remember Neil Cross talking about saying how much he wanted to do a movie yeah. as well so I think they're both really into the idea I'd yeah. love him so, to do it he was, have you ever read yeah. so he did a book called The Calling uh, which is a Luther a Luther adventure and it's like a novel right. based on the case that you see him solve at the very beginning of the first episode so that he kills a character mm. at the beginning of the first episode at the end of a long investigation and it's that investigation which forms the the subject of, of The Calling which is Cross's book but that's well worth reading if you're if you're a Luther yeah. so yeah I'd I think love, love you to see this happen uh, me too I think you've forgotten the second half of your news bite about Netflix because you started by point saying that they've they're given they take away and you did the taking away we didn't do but the they gift gave part, us did you? the crown so they give the crown uh, they take that, away sorry. Sabrina <laughs> I thought you were referring to the last kingdom being recommissioned oh, for a yes, fifth season of course season, they give us so, that as well yeah that's so you yeah, it <laughs> is. they give us <laughs> they give us <laughs> also the last kingdom um, yes this was pretty exciting because we saw the cast they did a zoom call and they announced it on the zoom call and they were really excited and surprised and I was as excited because the last kingdom is fucking godly and I love it uh, yeah I'm very very excited about this last kingdom yeah. I would say 
it may not it may be my main guilty pleasure like it is a show i just love to binge that show i think it's marvelous um so yeah i'm very very pleased that we'll see another season and sophie petzel writes some of it doesn't she, she writes she some writes of the early ones i don't know if she's back yeah. i don't know if she's still doing stuff but yeah she has right, written on probably, it before yeah. um yeah. It's, so, it's such a good show it is so watchable um yeah love that love that to bits anything else in news yeah, I'm excited about the scenes from a marriage. Do you see yes. that? That HBO, um, the Ingmar Bergman um, uh, original series from the 70s, which starred Lee Ullman, and is going to star Oscar Isaac and Michelle Williams, which are, I find, I, I would say, two of the greatest actors on earth. Um, and I love the idea of them of a of a of a drama depicting their marriage, exploring, as it says, uh, this is the quote: "It's going to explore love, hatred, desire, monogamy, marriage, and divorce through the lens of a contemporary American couple." Yeah, I mean, it's very. That's going to be very full on. Um, yeah, and it's also written and directed by um, Haggai Levy, who was the co-creator of The Affair, and I think is phenomenal. Um, so I think that's going to be really really interesting and probably super yeah. fucking intense if it's anything like the 70s film yeah uh elizabeth moss is gonna play a uh killer so somebody called candy montgomery i don't remember this case from real life but i think it's from the 80s a woman who is essentially a mother a wife um has a nice house in the burbs and then the um, the article that I read on it said, so why did she kill her friend from church with an axe? <laughs> and I think that's a very good question. It seems a legitimate query, yes. <laughs> um, but it's going to be called Candy, I think, and after the um, name of the uh, killer who was called Candy Montgomery. And it says it's going to reunite her with screenwriter Robin Weiss, um, who was an assistant on Mad Men. Yeah. So I think she's wanted to work with them for a while. And she also said, I think she wanted to play a completely different kind of person, not necessarily a hero or the good guy, play somebody a little bit darker. And, you know, as this woman killed somebody with an axe, that sounds like it might do the trick. We've all done Sorry. it. Um, yeah. Right. I think that's news. Is that news? Oh, boy, I've got you one look more like thing. you've got another story. I've got one more thing. This is going to be very you, James. Harry Hill... Yes, yes, this is a Harry Hill news story. It's coming back to TV to do because if I'm he's sorry, joining the Expanse, then I'm on board. Otherwise, I don't he's care. He's not joining the Expanse, as far as I'm aware. But TV Burp, let's face it, is one of the greatest TV formats of all time, and he's now doing Harry Hill's Harry Hill's World of TV on BBC Two, where he's going to analyse genres of TV, soaps, medical dramas, <sighs> cop shows, etc. And it's going to be fucking hilarious. I guarantee you. And that is it for news time now for this week's reviews. First up this week, we have The Plot Against America. This is the new miniseries from Wire creators David Simon and Ed Burns, based on the Philip Roth book of the same name. Told through the eyes of a Jewish family in 1940s Newark, New Jersey, this asks what might have happened if Charles Lindbergh and not FDR had won the presidential election, putting a fascist in the Oval Office and watching the country slide into ruin. Ha. Huh. Um, what did you make of this, Boyd? Well, I am a huge fan of the uh, original novel that this is based on, the Philip Roth novel, um, which um, was published in 2004. Now, bearing in mind this novel is essentially about what would happen if a celebrity hmm. became a politician and turned into a populist right-wing demagogue um, who uh, basically um, 
appealed to the lowest common denominator of voters and got into power and was elected and turned the whole country into a fascist regime in 2004. And so I feel like you can't but watch it now in 2020 through, you know, through thinking about through the lens of Donald Trump. And, I, and I'm guessing, I mean, I've read a little bit around why they decided to do it now. Um, and I'm guessing that a large part of it is because of those um, modern parallels that there are to this day and age. And, and I think it does make it, the original novel was incredibly powerful, but this for me, this is even more extraordinary. And what's, fascinating to me about it is this is classic David Simon. So it's created by uh, David Simon and Ed Burns, who did The Wire together. And I think often Ed Burns gets left out of The Wire discussion. So one of the greatest TV dramas of all time, which they created and wrote together. Mm-hmm. And I think what David Simon and the two of them often do in their shows is it, it, they do have they do like a slow burn. They do like establishing characters, creating this incredibly authentic, um, beautifully made world where you get to meet this family this Jewish family in 1940 in uh, in in America in suburban Newark New Jersey uh played by Anthony Anthony Boyle is the nephew orphan nephew Zoe Kazan and Morgan Spector are the kind of patriarch and matriarch there's they have two young boys as well Philip is the youngest son who's based on Philip Roth himself and a lot of it is seen through his eyes but not as much as it is in the novel the novel is entirely seen through his eyes and you get to know this family and the first episode really is is kind of drawing you in, showing them their daily lives, a very a beautifully authentic depiction of this Jewish kind of working class family with aspirations to get, join the middle classes. He's an insurance salesman, as my dad was an insurance salesman, funnily enough. And then steadily it becomes clear that the background to all this is that, um, is that Charles Lindbergh, this famous aviator hero, um, is going to become the president and he is going to and he is against joining the war he's against america joining the war and helping out the allies and fighting the nazis and all of the politics of it are shown through what happens with this family reminding me a bit of years and years russell t davis's show which of course showed huge world events through depicted through this family mm. even to the point where in years and years of course he shows them watching tv and a lot of the events get played out whilst watching. In this, it's them listening to the radio and watching newsreel footage of what's happening in the war and thinking about how this is going to affect them as Jews in this world where Nazis are on the rise and, and, the, and the president's about to be elected who basically supports the Nazis but doesn't explicitly say it. Um, it's fascinating. John Chaturo plays a rabbi who is um, is kind of like the token Jew in the uh, in Charles Lindbergh's campaign, and he helps and enables these fascists to come to power. But I've watched this whole series, so I should say this now, and I'm going to do that really annoying thing that I always do mm. about where you can't really judge it on the first episode. Yeah. I do feel the first episode takes its time to portray these characters. It's quite slow. It's beautifully done. But then episode two, honestly, begins with this spectacular arrival of Charles Lindbergh. You see, if this his him flying down through Ma- to Manhattan in, with incredible CGI depicting what Manhattan would have been like in 1940, while the kid runs to gets on a bus to go and see him, and all the characters kind of congregate to see Charles Limber making his big announcement that he's going to run for president, and it's spectacular, and incredible. And episode two is relentlessly brilliant and fascinating, and much faster pace. And by by the time you get to the last episode, which is one of the most tense and extraordinary episodes I've ever seen on TV, this turns out to be a bit of a classic TV series. So all I say to people is, I think the first episode does demand your patience a bit. It's, as 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 I think um, uh, 
David Simon stuff often yeah. does, but it really pays your patience and taking time and watching it all the way through to the end because it's chilling. And what it's saying about the slow, steady rise of fascism that can happen before your eyes and the chilling and terrifying and nightmarish, it almost becomes a horror, the effect that it has on this Jewish family and and the parallels that there are to today as well makes it an incredibly important and brilliant series. Mm, you're absolutely right about Simon's stuff because, like, everyone think back to The Wire, which I still maintain is probably the greatest show ever made. Uh, it, again, it's very slow to start. It's almost impenetrable. The first episode is um, obviously when you rewatch it, it goes a lot faster because you know who everyone is. But uh, it takes a while to go. Treme was the same. Again, it, the first episode mm. is very much a mood piece. It's about it's about the characters. It's about the setting, uh, and this is the same. Like you're getting to know these characters. You're getting to know this family. And it's through their eyes that the story is going to play out. So you need to spend time with them. Otherwise, it loses its impact. But it just it, it hits home that thing that these sea changes, this sort of like the rise of fascism, it's not something that suddenly happens like an anvil. It's like death of a thousand cuts, isn't it? It's this gradual shift. And then before you know, you're like, oh, how the hell did we get here? And it is yeah. chilling. And it's it, I think it was it was probably very poignant when it was when it was written as a book. But now in 2020, it it's genuinely terrifying genuinely terrifying because this is obviously something that we've yeah. seen in america it's something we've seen globally you know the shift towards towards extreme nationalism and fascism and it's just yeah it's thoroughly depressing but it's beautifully played out and it looks stunning and you have that wonderful sense of um of time and place that he does so well and he relies so heavily on on like diegetic music you know that he sort of like so you'll have when they're mm. in the car you hear that 1940s big band music playing like it really feels like it inhabits that time and place um yeah i enjoyed this a lot it's uh but it is definitely one i think you have to stick with i think anyone jumping into the first episode expecting lots to happen will be disappointed first episode, i mean they're yeah. an hour long they're not short episodes um but they're very layered very textured terry what did you make of this one i really like this and i did only watch the first episode but i think it's clear what's happening in terms of the setup they're trying to show you this family introduce you to this family you kind of fall in love with various members of this family it's so well drawn the dynamic between them um and i think you need to establish kind of their norm their normality really and and when and they start to introduce these threads of danger as you say through um listening on the wireless through this newsreel footage there's an incredible scene where um newsreel footage is is intercut with um, real violence happening with a character you've got to know on the streets. Um, it's just so well crafted and put together and this creeping dread that is introduced. And it isn't kind of, there are a couple of big moments, but it isn't actually about those big moments. It's about how every area of their life you sense is about to be affected um and the creep 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 of fascism as opposed to as you say this anvil dropping mm. overnight um and so i would even though i've only watched the first episode it definitely picks up pace by the end of the episode and you're like holy fuck i really want to watch the second one now i love their dynamic um the i mean the cast is incredible i have to say little philip um who's played yeah. by Ozzy Robertson, who was Henry in Marriage Story. So I remember the little boy in Marriage Story who yeah. is, you know, brilliant. It's him. And I love that you see so much of it through his eyes. He's this kind of innocent little boy, he collects stamps. He's incredibly naive um, and incredibly vulnerable. And as he starts to understand more, you start to understand more. I think the way they've used his character to help you understand as you watch it is really 
um really really smart i loved this um and i'll be i'll be sticking with it for the rest of the the season but i know what you mean about the slow burn isn't kind of you know the first half an hour especially you really are getting to know the daily lives of this family mm. but i think you have to be invested in them and what their lovely warm intimate you know normal family life looks like um to really kind of be moved by this danger that's been presented to them as as a jewish family and i really like also how um david simon ed burns there are clear um lines to be drawn with what's happening right now but it isn't there is no heavy-handed kind of no that isn't that doesn't need to be done for you there is a subtlety mm. to this and a trust and a faith in the audience which mm. i love um and it's all there for you and you know it isn't given to you on a plate but uh, you know we talk about this a lot and everything has to be i think this is worth it and i think it's worth um sticking with the entire first episode and I guarantee you, you'll be gagging for the second. Yeah, this is classic, mm. those guys say. I mean, Simon's described it in the past as lean forward television. Like He doesn't yes. think TV should wash over you. He believes you should have to concentrate. You should have to pay attention. You shouldn't be on your phone. You need to, to lean lean in and really sort of engage with the content. Uh, yeah. And I, I respect that. I just worry, like, some viewers are expecting, like, the man in the high castle <laughs> no. or hunters, you know, these no. big, yeah, action-packed, thrilling. And But funnily enough... Episode two's beginning is kind of thrilling. And I, I bet, like, I bet the execs, the HBO, when they was like, can't you just like do the beginning of uh, <laughs> episode one with what you do in episode of David Simon going, no, fuck you. And we're doing what we do. This is where it's going to be. But it, it does turn into one of the most, I mean, and as I say, episode six is just like unbelievably tense and and horrific, yeah. Exciting stuff. Well, The Plot Against America drops on Sky Atlantic on Tuesday, July the 14th at 9 p.m. Next up, we have season two of Condor. This is a show based on the novel Six Days of the Condor by James Grady and the film Three Days of the Condor and is now the TV show No Days of the Condor and stars <laughs> Max Irons as a CIA analyst who stumbles across a conspiracy that gets a lot of people killed. This second season, however, sees our spy on the lamb in Hungary before being sucked into another conspiracy around a CIA mole. So... What did we think of two seasons of The Condor, Boyd? Well, this is so weird because this is a show that is was was shown on the Audience Network in what America. Is that? Which was a pay, I know. It was a pay TV channel owned by AT&T, <laughs> which I guess is like the equivalent of, you know, like a giant Don't they own a HBO kind of as well? Uh, do they? No, I think Warner's own HBO, don't they? Or maybe AT&T. I think it's the uh, same Okay, fine. Well, anyway, this channel, the Audience channel, has, is, is now defunct and now that is no, no longer exists. And this show kind of like came and went without that much, um, uh, you know, attention being paid to it. It went out on Sky One, Series One. I don't think anyone, I'd barely even noticed. But look at this show. It's got Max Irons, who's a pretty big star, Brendan Fraser, William Hurt, yeah. Mira Silvino. Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, it, it, the incredible cast. It's beautifully made, I have to say. It looks fantastic. Um, you know, it's it's got... It's a pretty interesting, riveting kind of story. It is quite Homelandy, I, it I would is a say. Bit, but like it, it definitely has that. Yeah, slightly hammier than Homeland. Um, the original film, Three Days of the Condor, that film, that Robert Redford film, um, is one of my favourite films. I think it's a, it's classic seventies paranoia yeah. post Watergate thriller, of which I love that genre anyway, and that's one of the greatest examples of it. And it looks amazing, and I like the way. And they have in this kind of, you can tell they've tried to pay tribute to the way that film looks and is directed, and I like that. Um, in the end. 
I did feel this first episode, this new season, like particularly Max Sainz's character is in, you know, he's, He's in Eastern Europe. Um, the Bob Balaman character is very reminiscent. He's I Ron felt. Rifkin from Alias. He's also him, but he's also, you know, he's also the dude from Homeland, you know, the beardy Jewish. Oh, I don't think he's know. a Saul Berenson character, but he is, he is a he's 100% a bit of a Arvin Sloan from Alias. Oh, okay. Well, he's a bit of a Saul Berenson as well, I think, which is fine. But I just feel like if Homeland hadn't existed, and, and a lot, there are lots of these shows, let's face it, um, then this would seem perfectly decent and beautifully made and pretty gripping. But because there are so many of these types of shows, it doesn't feel particularly special, I have to say. Um, but I did enjoy it. I do generally really enjoy yeah, the yeah, genre. Same, yeah. I do love a conspiracy, you know, terrorism thing, CIA, <laughs> FBI. It's all in there, literally. But it just feels a little bit generic there's a great scene where the where there's a kind of party and this group of these characters exchange stories about what they have and haven't done you know that game what's that game i you know where they're talking it's a variation never never have i ever isn't it but yeah, never have I ever. They do that, and I thought that was a really good scene because it's got them talking about threesomes and this, that, but and the other. But also, that's genius um, way of of front loading loads of character development without having awkward yeah. dialogue. So yeah, that was a lovely exactly. device. That was clever. Yeah. So you know, I enjoyed it, but. I don't feel it's like so special that I, that it's going to take up much See, more of my time. But I, yeah. I really like this. Do you love it? And partly because I yeah. had fucking never heard of this. I had no idea this thing existed. Right. And I, I turned it on, and obviously this is season two, and we get the previously on, and it was the most over-the-top, wildly melodramatic thing of the previous season. It was basically like last season on Condor and it could have just been in the last seven seasons of Homeland this happens because so much is going on so it feels to me like it's a much trashier hammier Homeland that moves a th- like a thousand times faster and is a thousand times more absurd but I'm a hundred percent here for that like I really enjoyed it like it has a little bit of alias absurdity in there too um and there's kind of an ongoing thing. There's a lot of unanswered phones in this and Kate Vernon waking up in the middle of the night. But um, but yeah, I, I, I really, really got me. Like I thought, this is nonsense. This is trashy nonsense, but it's really watchable. And I really want to know what happens. And I just wonder, it feels, perhaps it's just, it's, it's the lockdown mindset, the need for kind of slightly low cerebral engagement, but really fun escapist nonsense and in as you said this brilliant sort of uh uh paranoia conspiracy genre which i absolutely love but i can can i can absolutely can see myself now going back and watching all of season one of this and then going all the way through season two just because it's wonderfully diverting and it's silly and it's fun and it's twisty and it's turning and it's got shadowy female assassins but uh yeah i mean i i'm 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 here for this i am all aboard the condor express terry (laughs) i mean it's fine. So I, I very much enjoyed the um, the recap at the top of season one because I didn't watch season one. I was like, this actually looks really exciting. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, and then the first episode of season two didn't quite deliver for me. Um, I mean, first things first, right? He's like no Robert Redford. He, he's quite bad. Um, so <laughs> Matt Science yeah. seems like a lovely lad um, <laughs> who plays Joe, but he's so like sweet and likable and i was thinking do i want like you know that guy to be sweet and likable and i get you've got a root for him but there's something missing he's he's not the guy he just isn't he's very lovely and he's like 
a kind of a, a lead in a late 90s rom-com kind huh. of thing. Do you know what I mean? With like yeah. Jennifer Aniston or Jennifer Garner or one of the Jennifers and it's based in New York City. And, you know, it, it is. It, I found him very, very sweet, very charming. I mean, the most exciting thing that I've discovered is it's directed by Andrew McCarthy <laughs> when his yes. name popped up at the end. I was like, yes. the Andrew McCarthy. This yeah. suddenly got a lot more exciting. Um, I, But I think he's kind of helped by the surrounding cash, right? I mean, as you guys said, fuck me. Like, William Hurt, Bob, Bob Babylon, Balaban. <laughs> Balaban. And you're like, holy shit, it's Bob Balaban. Like, this has got some proper quality, yeah. credible people in it. It's, as you said, exactly what you guys said, which is, it's perfectly fine. It's one of those things. It's the exact opposite of what we've just been talking about, is you could happily be on your phone. You could be on three phones <laughs> doing three different things and still essentially get what was happening and it's kind of okay. It's like wallpaper, yeah. really. You can have it on in the background. It's perfectly fine. It's, you know, you're really hungover. You can't really be asked to do anything. You don't have the brain power or, you know, the emotional fortitude to be able to properly engage with something. This is the show for you. It's funny what you said about Max Zions versus Robert Redford because – the, pre- the 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 premise of the film, and I think season one of this does start in the same way, is that this nerdish, bookish um, CIA operative um, comes back from lunch to find all his colleagues yeah, killed, dead. which is a brilliant premise. And of course, it was always funny that Robert Redford was playing this bookish, I mean, the most handsome, famous, sexy yeah. person in the world in 1970s uh, Hollywood was playing that role. Max Zines, yeah, not quite the same. Yeah. But I'm sure he's lovely. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he's lovely. Yeah, and he's you know, he's he's very very charming, very likable. But um, very likable, yeah. Terry. Is he likable? What does that mean, Terry? What does likeable. that mean? <laughs> likable. You'll never hear me using that word about a woman, but I've decided to try and use it more about men. <laughs> well, the likable condor begins on Sky One on Wednesday, July the fifteenth at nine p.m. Finally, this week we are. As promised, going to break slightly from the norm and talk about the final episodes of Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, which you may recall Terry mentioning once or twice, very fleetingly, in previous podcasts. Uh, this hugely acclaimed show comes to a close this week, uh, and given how seismic it's proved, we thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about the final episodes. But fear not, if you are listening to this before seeing them, which a lot of you will be, uh, we will be avoiding spoilers. Of course, if you'd rather know absolutely nothing uh, about whether it's good or not, then by all means skip ahead, uh, but we will not be putting any spoilery plot points in there at all. Take it away, no. Terry. Well, I'm, do you know what? I'm so pleased we're doing this. And we should say, A, it's, you know, it's seismic and it's really important. I think it's probably one of the most anticipated finales um, <laughs> in TV this year. Um, uh, but also, there was nothing better to review. And, and, and actually, let's, let's, let's be clear about why we're doing this. But I'm so fucking glad we're doing it, right? Because I watched... Um, these last night i also then got up at 6am to watch them again because i couldn't quite believe what i'd seen so i'm not going to give anything away and i'm going to try and talk about it without ruining anything because the the last two episodes particularly the final episode is unlike anything i have ever seen on telly on film it is utterly unique transgressive was a word boy used on whatsapp to me earlier and it's absolutely that it is everything and nothing you expect 
And, you know, let's remind ourselves about how this has been received so far. I think when it started, people knew this was something special, knew it was doing different things. But the way this has evolved over the 12 episodes, I just think is remarkable. And I think when you look at it as a 12 episode piece of work, it is the most phenomenal achievement. And let's be clear about why that is. That is because Michaela Cole is a creative force, pretty much unlike anyone else, I think in TV or film. And she has a singularity in her creativity and a conviction in her vision, which I think is extraordinary. We'll all have read the stuff this week, right? About her um, Netflix deal. So she did the massive interview with Vulture, incredible interview. And she basically said that she'd been offered a million dollars, pounds, dollars by Netflix, but only if she Mm. gave up complete copyright of the show and she basically asked to retain some of the copyright of the show that she made and they refused and she walked away from a one million dollar deal with netflix and said no that is why this show is extraordinary because to have that much conviction and belief and also knowing that this is something you have made from your personal experience why the fuck should she give up a hundred percent of the rights to her own show and essentially her own life. And this feeds into the bigger thing with I May Destroy You, which is this is all about narratives and this is all about stories and it's all about who owns your narrative, who owns your story and your ability to rewrite it. So these last two episodes do, especially the last episode, does a very unconventional stuff. I'm not going to give anything away and it's really hard to do this without giving anything away, but essentially... um, there is, um, she's essentially lives a day multiple times with different variations of what could have happened. And that is massively underselling it. But when you watch it, you will see um, exactly what I mean. But what's clear is, and it's been clear from the start, that even though this began with a sexual assault after she'd been drugged, which was based on a real event from her life. This was never and isn't a whodunit. It isn't about trying to find this guy who did this thing to her. It's so much more interesting than that because it isn't really about who assaulted her. It's about what was done to her, how she lives with it, how she understands it, how she finds out the truth, what is truth. I mean, if you are expecting a third act resolution with a kind of nice bow on the on the top you are not going to get this but this is extraordinary some of the devices she uses in this the visual language is on a whole new level than anything we've seen in previous episodes i i mean i I just can't say enough good stuff about this and it's exactly what you were saying earlier james this is lean forward television this is challenging this is intellectually challenging emotionally challenging says really interesting things about trauma in a way that I can't remember seeing anybody else say. The way they present flashbacks, different versions of, of memory, of reality. I just think it's it's absolutely unlike anything else and is, is showing innovation both technically and creatively in a way that makes pretty much all of all the television seem kind of a little bit formal and traditional and staid even the the places this goes and the boldness this shows just puts it head and shoulders above everything on tv right now so yeah i think it, i liked it <laughs> what uh, the most incredible thing about it to me is that i think and why i think you're right in, in her being this unique um talent is that she has a 
the word fearlessness, the fearlessness and uncompromisingness yeah. of her writing and vision is incredible. And I think that's been a thing of a, a part of her all the way through, going back to chewing gum, um, you know, and, and and the Edinburgh TV Festival lecture, the famous lecture where she revealed that she'd been sexually assaulted because she does stuff. And I think she's talked about this. She's talked about this in interviews all through her life where she's spoken out and she has fearlessly said what she feels she needs to say. And she doesn't give a shit. Or if she does, she brilliantly pushes that to the side and doesn't let that worry her. She will say, she will talk about her truth to whoever needs to hear it. And again, that goes along with the million, the Netflix thing. Mm. That, And you're right, it's all in there. This it all feeds into this series, which feels like the culmination of her telling a story, but not only that, telling the story of all these different people she knows and all their stories, because there's lots of real people's experiences that she's used in, in, in this thing. And um, it's like she's she's just got it out there. And and because I feel like it, with these episodes, again, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but if you if someone else had written the some of the things that happened, some of the things that happened, and if you boldly put down in a you know in a in a tweet or say or if you bought, if you went oh but she does this thing happens with this character that's not right that's problematic. There's lots of stuff in here that could be considered in heavy quotes problematic to people who love that word, and you know. But she doesn't fucking give a shit. She's not going to play those games. She's going to write what she writes. She's going to depict things that happen that aren't easily fitting into what you expect in these narratives. People's. She's going to be incredibly, spectacularly non-judgmental. I mean that in the most pure way. Like people will do stuff, and they're not. And what happens to them? The resolution is not going to be. People aren't going to be happy with it. But it's real and it's true. And that is what is incredible about these episodes. I think what happens to Kwame, the, the her, her gay best friend, is fantastic and beautiful and amazing. I think what happens to the friendship group, the three of them, her and Terry and him, is amazing and brilliant. I shout out to her flatmate. It's paid yes. by Ben Stephen White, who 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 is fantastic, and I know he's based on her real life flatmate who she lived with for years, um, and was like this just this solid, pure guy who she could just rely on, very like you know very low key presence really. But he but what absolutely brilliant shout out to him because he's a you know he's a he's a good actor who's been in lots of good stuff and he's you know in a fairly minor role but then the importance to her comes out I think in the in the final episode particularly yeah I think it is absolutely phenomenal stuff it reminds me a little bit of your book actually Terry because she's turning trauma into art that's one of the themes of it I think and I think you do that in your book and I think it's so when it's this well done it can be in the end and, and no matter what there is no easy resolution, but actually, as she said in in the piece we did about her in Pilot TV before the show started, she did want people to take positive, in quotes, m you know, messages from this thing. She wanted people to have hope, and I think you do somehow mm. in the end. And I think that's partly down to the fact that she's created incredible art out of what's happened to her and have, 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 what's happened to lots of people she knows in this show. It immediately goes to the top of my list now. Of, of it, It's got to be the best stuff that's been on TV this year, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm desperate for you to to go back to the start, James, and just like, because I, I, I don't think you'll be able to stop yourself being pulled in by the sheer, I mean, the mastery of it. And, and, and I think that's really important to point out is somebody was saying um, on social media, you know, the way people are talking about it, you know, the mystical powers of Mika Michaela Cole is actually kind of 
doing her down because there's real craft at the heart of this. You know, she has grafted on this. I, there was another brilliant line in, in the Vulture piece about how many drafts she wrote. Yeah. How many was it? Uh, it was a hundred and something. hundred yeah. and something. Yeah. This is pure graft, pure skill. This is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. This is not excellent by kind of, you know, by accident. It's all completely deliberate. And it all is down to her precision, her skill, her commitment, as you said, Boyd, her absolute refusal to compromise on anything. And I think that just makes it extraordinary. This that this finale especially will stay with me for a long, mm. long, long time in a way that television, I think, does it its best but often um, fails to. So both of the final episodes of I May Destroy You will have dropped on iPlayer this morning on Monday. Uh, the penultimate episode airs tonight on BBC One and the final episode Tuesday, tomorrow night, also on BBC One. Also out this week, as mentioned, is Netflix's Cursed, which stars 13 Reasons Why's Catherine Langford as Nimue, a fae in Arthurian times who ends up wielding Excalibur and taking on a band of fanatical racist monks led by an ornery Peter Mullen. Uh, we have seen this, but thanks to the cursed embargo, which promises all manner of curses if we break it, uh, we aren't allowed to talk about that until next week, so you'll have to wait until then. Um, Boyd, what else have we got this week? The new season of Absentia drops on Amazon on Friday. There's NCIS New Orleans, which I didn't even realise was a thing. The new season of that drops on Fox UK also on Friday. Uh, the Young Offenders is back. Christ help us. Uh, BBC Three on Sunday. Uh, Doom Patrol, I want to say season two of that, uh, drops on Thursday. Yeah. And Miracle Workers, the Daniel Radcliffe show that we did not particularly enjoy when we reviewed, that drops today on Monday at 9pm on Sky Comedy. Uh, anything else? Boy, anything I've missed there? I think you've pretty much covered it, I have to say, yeah. Um, no, I think that's, that's it. Yeah. everything else out this week. What is the pick of the week? You can't pick I May Destroy You. That is disqualified. I May Destroy You. Yeah, I May Destroy You. The yes. plot against America is yes. fucking brilliant I as well. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. New stuff, uh, uh, plot against America. Okay. Right. Let us then end with, as is our tradition, the Banshee segment, whereupon we reflect on a long since retired or at least recently retired show and recommend it for the listeners. I will kick off this week with uh, one which I watched when it first aired, which was not long ago, it was 2017, um, but I was tempted to watch again recently, I think as I caught part of it on Netflix, uh, which was Godless, which I'm sure you guys watched, which was Scott Frank's Netflix series. Scott Frank, of course, the Oscar-winning screenwriter of Out of Sight and Logan. Uh, and this starred uh, Michelle Dockery and Jack O'Connell and uh, Scoot McNary's in it as well. Uh, Jeff Daniels is in it. So lots of good people in it. But it's it's a, an old-school kind of Western. It's a seven-parter. Uh, and it's a really excellent excellent example of what happens when you take the very best of movies and film together like it's a limited series it plays out over those seven episodes um but it's a really really nice conceit so it's a mining town where almost all of the men are killed in a mining accident so it's only women in this town uh, and jack o'connell's character is uh, an outlaw who ends up there when injured uh, jeff daniels of course being his uh, his mentor and the head of an outlaw gang and it's a really a classic western there are long shots of horses galloping through streams there's people staring out over the prairie there's gunshots there's 
train robberies, all the stuff you love. Like, it's really great Western stuff. But I think what sets this apart for me is Scott Frank did such a good job of rendering the characters. Like, they're beautifully drawn out characters. You really feel for them. And because it's long, this series, because it's because it plays out over seven episodes, it's a Western where you really feel you get to know these people and you spend time with them and they're very, very textured. I should also con- uh, point out that Merritt Weather, who is, of course, uh, starring in Run this year, she is the highlight of this in a supporting role, as she is in so many things hilarious and brilliantly acted her parties um uh, but i really like this it's, it's a it's a really good show it's definitely well worth watching uh, and the fact that westerns are a male dominated genre and this is a female dominated show also helps it stand out as well uh, but if you missed godless when it dropped on netflix in 2017 i 100% recommend you go and watch it it is seven episodes that are absolutely worth your time godless netflix available now um I'm picking another show that arrived on Netflix, actually, which is fairly recent. And in fact, this show um, was an audience network show, which is what made me think of it. Um, I think it was one of their first ones back in 2014. It's Kingdom, and it is a mixed martial arts drama. It's set in a mixed martial arts. With Frank Grillo, exactly. So coincidentally, I thought for a minute you were picking this, by the way. I was like, fuck, it's going to pick This has been on my list of one to do, actually, because this is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it start, it's it's all about the world of mixed mm. martial arts um, in America. And it's a family of people who take part in MMA. Um, there's a father and sons. One of them, the sons, is Nick, played by Nick Jonas, who I'm sure from the Jonas Brothers. I'm sure you're fully aware and a big fan <laughs> of his, James. Um, and he plays um, a secretly gay uh, mixed martial arts. And I think his storyline for me is the most interesting because just to have this, it's, you couldn't think of a more macho world than MMA. Or well, there are female um, MMA fighters as well but his storyline is really interesting um there's one episode there's a kind of a he's kind of assorted drugged and assorted interestingly enough by um by this couple and that's a really really kind of quite traumatic scene that happens i think in season two but there are three seasons of it 40 episodes um it's a really gritty interesting insight into Mm. that world um really well made and it's all on netflix and i recommend it yes i recommend that also it's got jonathan tucker in it who i really like uh from black donnelly's number of other things Uh, But yeah, this is really good. I mean, Frank Grillo's really watchable anyway. He's great in this. Uh, I think this is is a good thing. And I'm not a big, I don't watch a lot of mixed martial arts, but I don't think that's a barrier to this. Weirdly, I watched this off the back of Warrior, uh, which which got me into this. I really enjoyed watching Warrior. I was looking for more stuff kind of set in this world and this kind of jumped out. But yeah, Kingdom's great. That's a really good shout. Terry, how about you? Well, I think, I wonder if I'll get into trouble for banshee this. This wouldn't be Um, the first time. (laughs) Because... It's from 2019, um, but fuck it, I don't care. So I want to do, and it's actually um, uh, been in my head since watching I May Destroy You, I want to talk about Pure. Yes. Um, mm. Which is definitely allowed because um, they've confirmed it's not coming back for season two, which is fucking madness, That's let me horrific. just say that. And season one of that was so good. Yeah. And I just loved like this, and this felt revolutionary at the time because, you know, it's about, um, uh, what do they call it? Pure O, which is the mental health. Is it actually a mental health condition? But it's where you have intrusive thoughts, often um, sexual in nature. And it's actually, there's a huge stigma still around it in terms of mental health and obviously mental health, I think there's been massive strides made in the last few years, especially about representations of mental health on television, but to tackle this particular thing 
at the time, I just remember thinking, this is really, really bold. Um, it was obviously based on a real life account of living with Puro, um, which was Rose Cartwright's book. Um, I think the book was called Pure O. And it was then written for telly by Kirsty Swain, who I think it was kind of a first time screenwriter. Um, Marnie, played by Charlie Clive, was just so brilliant in this. Um, and the tone of it was really, really realistic, but quite challenging in places. And just to see this depicted in the way it was, when you still, so few people talk about this and talk about that kind of living with those intrusive thoughts and and the sexual nature of it, which makes it even more shameful and difficult for people um, to be able to deal with and talk about publicly. And I think it was just incredible that this got made for TV and was put out in the way it was. And I don't, for the life of me, understand why there was not a season two. Was it like... Was it like, did I don't think it got bad ratings, did it? I, I think the ratings were disappointing, yeah. I think that's why, um, partly why it wasn't recommissioned, yeah. I think they, but I mean, having said that, it's very rare for a kind of Channel 4 primetime drama to really cut through anyway. It wasn't, I think they had a bit of a run of not, it's hard to get huge ratings for a Channel 4 drama. Yeah. But it's- I agree with you, it was such a great, it was such a bold, great series. Yeah, Joe yeah. Cole was great in it as well, wasn't he? It was the, well, um, and, and Neve Algar was in it, yeah. right, who ended yeah. up being in... Um, uh, the Virtues uh, last year, which was incredible, and yeah. is, is turning out to be a real talent. Yeah, I think it was and it just so bold. Mm. And I, I think maybe that contributed to the ratings because I think it's still an inc- incredibly difficult thing for people to get their head around if, if they've never read much into it or known anybody who's suffering from it. Um, but yeah, I think that is on for, what do we call it? All four. OD, all four. OD, That's what made me sad. I didn't realise they weren't bringing that back. That's. I was looking forward to that. That's. That's quite upsetting. Oh well. Never mind. Pure. Yes, I recommend that as well. Well worth watching. Um, and that I guess marks the end of another episode of the Pilot TV podcast, which of course we hope you enjoyed. Uh, and we also hope you enjoyed it more than the gentleman who wrote us three different drafts of his one-star review, stating that Terry and I are painfully <laughs> unfunny, but the Boyd is fabulous. A scathing appraisal written by one uh, Hoyd Bilton. No idea who that might be, but uh, if you, unlike Hoyd, enjoyed the show, then do feel free to show your appreciation with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. We will be back next week when, among other things, the curse will finally be lifted and we can finally talk about Netflix's Excalibur show. Whether that turns out to be something they'll be happy about, you'll need to find out next week. Pilot out. Mm-hmm.